Hi, everyone. Welcome to Scouting for Growth, the go-to podcast where we delve into the world of corporate startup collaboration and partnership, as well as growth strategies deployed by corporate and institutional investors, as well as those who support them. In today's episode, we have the honor of welcoming Dr. Melissa Sassi, with whom we will be exploring the dynamic world of technology, entrepreneurship, and social impact. Melissa has a wealth of global experience. Having visited 60 countries, Melissa brings direct exposure to the local challenges and opportunities for achieving the Sustainable Development Goals. Her doctoral thesis actually focused on the critical role of digital inclusion in solving the SDGs, highlighting the transformative power of bridging the digital divide. Melissa's passion for driving societal change led her to leave big tech and become an entrepreneur. She is the CEO and co-founder of Skills Hustle, a pre-seed at tech company committed to closing the skills gap and transforming learners into earners. The Skills Hustles platform takes an innovative approach, offering gamified, interactive, and practical modules that engage learners on a deeper level. With a focus on community building, the platform provides access to thought leaders, networking opportunities, and real-world challenges such as innovation challenges and hackathons, enabling learners to develop practical skills and solve real business challenges. Notably, Melissa's entrepreneurial journey extends beyond skills hustle, actually. She served as the founder and global head of the IBM HyperProtect Accelerator, where she's she spearheaded actually startup enablement in over 50 countries across various sectors, including fintech, health tech, insurtech, head tech, and music tech, among the few. A focus was on increasing access to capital, customer, market, partner, staff, and mentorship as well. She's also worked even uh, with uh, Timberland startups, Bit Club, adding a touch of sparkle to her impressive portfolio. I have to add as well that Melissa, during five years, worked for Microsoft. She served as an impact investor focusing on internet and energy success and teaching digital skills to uh, newly connected individuals. In addition to her professional achievement, Melissa founded Mentor Nations, a youth-led nonprofit that has empowered tens of thousands of young change makers, actually across 12 countries by teaching them coding skills. A remarkable contribution were recognized with three nominations for UN awards, showcasing the tangible impact of her work. Melissa's wealth of knowledge and experience has made her a thought after speaker and workshop facilitator she has delivered over 400 talks and workshops at renowned institutions such as Academia, the United Nations, the World Bank, the World Economic Forum, Microsoft, IBM, and Harvard. So I will say join us on this episode of Scouting for Growth as Dr. Melissa Sassi shares her insights, experience, and innovative ideas in leveraging technology and education to drive societal impact and foster sustainable growth. I want you to get ready to be inspired by her passion and expertise. Uh, Melissa is actually contagious. She's awesome, and you will fall in love with her as you listen to to her as an entrepreneur and how she's bringing digital literacy to market that needs it, as well as creating positive change. Now, if you like this podcast, don't forget 
forget to subscribe to it, rate it and uh, download it. Uh, and please leave also a commentary down below and reach out to me if you actually have any questions or ideas for future podcasts. So without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with our remarkable guest, Dr. Melissa Sassi. Hi, Melissa. It's a pleasure to have you with us on Scouting for Growth today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, I, I'm joining you from Mexico. Normally, I am uh, based out of Texas. And uh, yeah, thank you again. Well, thank you for accepting the invitation. So we are with Dr. Melissa Sassi. And uh, you have so many accolades behind your name, Melissa. So let's go through some intro, your path to success and to, I guess, to venturing as well. Yeah, sure. You know, it's funny. I, I had someone today um, ask me, like, well, how do I how do I do your elevator pitch? You know, um, you've done so many different things and you've had kind of like reinventions throughout your life. Um, like, how do I introduce you? I feel like um, if I do, I'm going to not do it justice, you know, and it kind of tickles me because, you know, I grew up in a small town in, in Missouri. So in the United States, the center of the U.S., you know, my parents didn't go to college. You know, my mother had three kids by the time she was 13 or sorry, 16, not 13. Ooh, ooh. Still young, but not that yet. Um, and, uh, you know, nobody really talks to me about college, um, but we're not going to talk about those uh, those uh, high school um, days. I um, spent the last 10 years of my life in um, of my career working in tech between you know, Microsoft and IBM. Uh, both of those, you know, kind of a uh, of uh, let's say major roles included. And I've always built my own jobs. I've always created my own jobs. So I never really flowed into the right like career progression plan that says you do this, you do these steps, and then you go here. So I was always a bit of a, you know, an outlier, outlier coloring out of this outside the lines and making people uncomfortable, hopefully in a good way. Um, but I ran um, startup accelerators that I, you know, created, um, you know, with the team. So they were all like kind of that new, brand new things. At Microsoft, it was all about building internet and energy access solutions around the world and then bringing um, digital skills to the newly connected. We did invest in kind of enabling ecosystems like, you know, fintech, edtech, that sort of thing. But it was really about how do we get people connected so they can take advantage of the amazing, you know, fintech tools that are out there that they can you know, create economic opportunity, get an education, that sort of thing. Uh, at IBM, I, I focused on data protection, privacy, and security, so heavily regulated industries, fintech, health tech, insure tech. I'm going to share my claims to fame on both of those, give you a couple more insights, and then we'll, you know, as most people know, I can go on and on about my career. So claim to fame at IBM. I ran this accelerator. One day I'm sitting there and I get this, I get this text. Holy, yeah, I don't know if I can curse on this show, so I'll just say holy, you fill in the, in the, in the you know, in the, in the, you fill in the blank. Timbaland just applied to your program. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like Grammy award winning music producer guy who works with Timbaland. What the hell is he doing applying to my program? Doesn't he just like have his people come and see my people and then it just happens? So I look, sure enough, um, he's got this startup called Beat Club. Um, it's all about democratizing access to the music industry. There's a, uh, a you know, kind of fintech component in there, like everything, because everyone is a fintech these days. Uh, really exciting for me. I had him on my podcast three times. We wore matching sweatshirts. Very fun and cool. Um, at Microsoft, I can say that one of our partners that we um, worked with for a very long time, uh, they uh, connected the Dalai Lama to the internet. So I will uh, not say that the Dalai Lama knows me. He has no idea I exist. I am a hidden figure. That's okay. But apparently the world is more mindful um, because of our internet connection. So a couple of claims to fame. Very nice. Very nice. So, 
Yeah, a little bit about my career. Um, I think it passed, and I'll make the rest uh, quick. But I currently um, am running a venture studio with uh, with my partner, um, and we'll talk more about you know what that is and what that means later. You know, did a couple cents on Wall Street and have my own nonprofit, taught tens and thousands of kids to code in twelve countries, and oh, yes, I sleep. Well, you know, people say, you know, when to me as well, you know, when do you sleep, Sabine? So, well, I do sleep eight hours a night, um, yeah. but actually I love doing things and my my mind is is for sure busy like yours. I want yeah. to solve problems. And if I did nothing, I think I would get, just get bored. So me, I get anxious. Right? Like I literally get anxious and feel like, and, and I don't know where this comes from over the years. I, I think it's like this Protestant work, work ethic thing, even though my parents are not Protestant. It was like I had it ingrained in my soul that I needed to work to be productive, to be independent, to be able to take care of myself. And from hard work comes, you know, outcomes in life. And that may be financial in nature. It may be, you know, uh, experiences, but you got to work to achieve. And it's been ingrained so much in my soul. And maybe you combine that with ADHD. I physically feel sick if I'm not like working, producing, doing something. I feel anxious. Like, like I, I and I feel empty. Like I, I don't matter anymore. I'm sure there's a disorder, you know, associated with that. But uh, if, if, if there is, I have that personality disorder. <laughs> So before going into all the businesses you have on your LinkedIn profile, because I've seen yeah. quite a few, yeah. I would want to, to understand, you know, what got you at the intersection of technology, education, economic development, social impact, startups, yeah. and sustainability. You know, how did you decide to actually bring those different yeah. clubs together? Because I do believe that the bloodlines existing, you know, you mentioned just now that every company will be a fintech. Yes, um, yeah. I agree with that as well. But how you connect all those dots? Yeah, so um, I, I'm going to make this, I'm going to try to make this story as short as possible because I, I, I'm good at going down a rabbit hole. So um, Sabine should, you know, tap my, my virtual shoulder if I, if I need to speed up anywhere because I'm known for this. And I, I try to be cognizant. Um, yeah, so this is a little bit about super something super deeply personal about you know me and my story. We all have a have a, an origin story that fires us, that fuels us, that you know you know creates that passion to make us do what we do, to make us recognize that this is the work I was born to do. I wake up in the morning and it doesn't feel like work. It's like I gotta do the thing, whatever that thing is. Sometimes we don't find it until later on in life, like me. Um, so about eight, ten years, about ten years ago. Um, you know, and, and I should kind of probably uh, fast or kind of go back in time a little bit. Um, I have three children, um, Yumna, uh, Zahran, and Zahra, Arabic names. Um, when I was, um, you know, at work on a business trip one day, um, and my ex-husband and I were going through a divorce, we had a traumatic kind of stuff. We're not going to get into the nooks and crannies of that. Ain't fun. Um, but, uh, you know, he went and picked my kids up from school uh, without my knowledge and, uh, put them on a plane, took them to his country. And, you know, so my kids and I um, became, you know, highly aware of what this parental kidnapping, you know, phrase is and what it means. Um, because of the nature of, uh, you know, political environment, and the legal structure and the relationships between the U.S. and Tunisia, um, you know, really hard. You know, you're talking about the country that sparked the Arab Spring. This was before that. This was during the Ben Ali regime. I couldn't do anything. I was stuck, you know, and I at that time was a woman without power, a woman without power, a woman without a network. I just at that time came in. I did my work. I looked after my family and I wasn't really thinking about change the world. I'm, I'm a woman on a mission. You know, it was like, I've got to take care of my family and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I work hard. I do my best. Uh, one day, my daughter, uh, and I, by the way, I knew where they were. They were safe and healthy. They just weren't with me. I could go visit them, but only in the family home. I want to make sure that's clear. So I did not lose touch. Um, one day, my daughter says to me that she was, uh, you know, learning micro, Microsoft is her accent. You know, she kind of speaks with a, a little bit of a, you know, French accent. Um, and she said, Mommy, Microsoft, mommy, I'm learning right? Yeah, Microsoft. You're you're much better than me, uh, but uh, yeah. And so she, uh, I really, and I was working at Microsoft at the time, and um, 
I, I realized she didn't have access to a computer in her classroom. Um, it, well, they had her own, I mean, they had one, they shared it across 40 kids. And I realized there's no way that she's going to be prepared, you know, for the future. She will not be part of the digital economy. She will not be prepared for the future of work. She needs to be learning these skills right now. And, you know, yeah, I can get her all the devices at home. That's great. But what about the other kids in her classroom? So I set on this mission to get, you know, computers for the class. That was my focus. Computers, class, that's it. As I started looking, I just started realizing the big role that access to tech, access to skills, access to the internet, all these different things, what role they play, including affordability, what role they play in driving outcomes, healthcare outcomes, education outcomes, economic outcomes, getting a job, doing a resume, like everything we have and do centers around tech. I realized half the world wasn't connected to the internet. And I realized that the world is made up of a bunch of haves and have nots, you know, and what can I do to change that? Uh, and again, I worked at Microsoft. Of course I can change that. Um, I ended up uh, lobbying and begging and pleading and putting myself over the coals and learning a lot and failing sometimes to uh, end up getting 400 laptops from uh, Microsoft and HP. We sent uh, them to 20 schools across the country. You can't have schools without skills. So I took three weeks off from work and me and some engineers from, from one of the local universities jumped in a car and started teaching kids to code all in every single region around the country. We were on the Libyan border, the Algerian border. We were in the Sahara. We came back, started a company. Um, I was doing that as my side shimmy. And I realized that it um, helped me compartmentalize my pain. I realized that it helped make the world a better place. You know what else it did? It gave me power and clout in that country that enabled me to have a voice. Showed my kids how you get a voice. Once I started doing that, and like, you know, I started getting asked to like join, you know, radio shows and TV shows and my team and stuff like that, because we started getting some funding. You know, we got we started a nonprofit that got funding from the US government you know, a few hundred thousand dollars every year. You know, we always met with the ambassador. I ended up being able to spend uh, the summers with my kids on my own. I uh, was very respectful of, you know, an agreement that me and their father had made to allow them to choose when they're old enough to choose and not pressure them to come back with me. You know, it was hard, but I can say now I've got one daughter back with me. She's 21. She's studying uh, uh, cybersecurity. Yeah, I have uh, one who's just finishing his uh, back exam, and he's planning to study uh, business and uh, either computer science or um, uh, cybersecurity. Um, he's 18. And then um, Yomna is 16. Her father, for the first time uh, in 15 years, is allowing her to come to the United States for the summer. So we're in the process of uh, getting their passport. So my daughter has never has not seen... Um, you know, none of them, Zahra and Zahran, the young, or uh, Zahran and Yumna, the youngest two, haven't seen this country since they were small children when they were kidnapped from their school in Pennsylvania. Oh, gosh, what an amazing story. And uh, at the same time, it's about also recognizing it's not always easy. Life is not easy at all, you know. Right, you know, we often think, you know, we have the celebrity stars, I call them, and uh, people think you can just come out of bed and just do things. It's not. And people have to work really hard to achieve outcome. But what I found even more impressive, and, you know, I'm still processing the story, uh, Melissa, is your dedication to your to your family, but also to others and realizing there was a major problem around digitization and learning the skills of the future. And two of your kids are now able to change yeah. our world, right? And protect us. So I, know, I, know. I know, I know. I mean, I will tell you, there's a lot of like emotional trauma. You know, um, my daughter, now that she's here, she's been here for uh, almost two years. You know, she's really struggling. You know, um, you know, she didn't grow up here, so she's not thinking like an American girl. She doesn't necessarily um, understand, you know, the American girl. You know, she doesn't understand the college experience. And there's certain and and because you know her father was very strict, she uh, didn't have access to certain things that you know a 21 year old here would. And so her, you know, her just uh, 
way of thinking and way of doing is probably equivalent to, you know, a girl who might be 16 or 17 from a, from a, a smart, you know, intelligence perspective, spot on. But when it comes to like critical thinking, problem solving and doing it on her own, um, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with some developmental challenges, but um, she knows it, she's working on it. And, um, you know, she well, recognizes, you know, the trauma that she went through and that's what fueled it. It's not about, is she smart? Is she not? It's just, you know, she's got to develop her skills, you know? So looking at those stories, right? I, I mean, you're a fighter, Melissa. You're actually building for others. You're building for yourself. And I've seen that you have many companies behind your belt as well that you've built. Yeah. yeah. So let's go into each of those amazing companies and tell us how sure. they connect together and then yeah, it's like venturing. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things you asked when I, when I jumped into my story was, you know, what kind of made you put all these things together? Yeah. Um, you know, I started out my career in uh, like supply chain and procurement um, just because I got a job in that area. I got a scholarship in college. They were going to give me a job to study it. And it was like, at that time, you know, I, I just think it, like the times were different. At that time, it was like, where can I get a job? It wasn't about like passion and change the world. And it was like, where can I get a job? How much money can I make? I'm tired of being poor. I want to travel the world. I want to do these things. Maybe I was weird. I don't know. But I didn't have these big altruistic things. It was like, okay, business, I need to make money. Oh, fine, I'll do that. They're hiring. Company looks okay. You know, um, again, maybe I had the wrong lens. That's okay. No, I mean, I um, think, you know, think about us who younger people, you know, Maslow, Maslow, Yashi of Needs, the baseline is money, food, shelter, right? And so I think yeah. all of us, as we went into a career, it was- Yeah, I had, to, I had to have that. You know, I, I didn't have this, like, you know, parents paying for everything or anything like that, you know? So I got this job. I was in, you know, negotiating contracts all the time. And I um, had some really great experiences doing that. I fell into kind of marketing procurement and agency management. I knew it wasn't what I was born to do, but I, I was good at it. I could do it in my sleep. Sometimes I do my job with like 20% of my effort. And then I just messed around doing all the other stuff I wanted to do in the other, you know, portion. And granted, I would raise my hand. I would volunteer for things. I do extra stuff. I could do it in my sleep. You know, and I was like, oh man, I'm keeping the train on the tracks. I, I got this really, I got this really cool new job at Microsoft, um, managing Microsoft's creative agencies. And I was working on uh, the empowering campaign. Um, I did the operations. So it wasn't like I was like in the creative aspect. I was kind of like a hidden figure in the trenches, making sure things worked. Um, and I realized I was on the sidelines of people driving impact people taking it upon themselves to create new business opportunities that solved problems that made the world a better place. And I was sitting back here helping an engine that helped the creative people tell the stories about the, you know, impactful people or people of impact, people of change. And when the same with my daughter, you know, popped up and the computers and the you know, digital skills, I realized this is my chance to be, you know, uh, an empowerer, you know, of, of others. This is my chance. And it wasn't that I did it to be in a video because that's not how it was. It was more like they inspired me to do something, you know, different. Uh, and I realized what it did for me as I start, as I got a new job at Microsoft building, uh, you know, as an impact investor, you know, storyteller, you know, I, I realized that I love digital skills and the aspect of like getting people skilled up, education. I loved, um, uh, you know, startup enablement, you know, I, I loved that, you know, I love the global nature of working in like all the nooks and crannies in the world. And I realized I didn't have to choose between enabling youth and women and startups and education and, you know, something that I was just good at because I worked on Wall Street and I built, you know, an internet bank through the financial crisis. I could bring all these things together. There's no reason why I should think that I can't combine them all together. Yeah. At first, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but now I've, I've found this way of, uh, of making it happen. So, yeah. so as you're making it happen and, you know, as we grow in our careers, you know, for me, you know, my, my strengths were, you know, I was fortunate, you know, I went to school and I came to the UK and I did my MBA and then I decided to go into insurance because I thought people in banking were actually nutters. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I felt that the insurance people were actually quite nice um, as he yeah. put that. So I fell into insurance. 
But um, I would say after a period of time, I was able to do strategy. And then, you know, from strategy, you go into executing the strategies and then you are going in value proposition and business models and all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then operational yeah. cost savings. So you're actually touching different things. You're and, and you're using it probably in a big company and applying it to a big company and realizing, wait a second, this is really just building, you know, new companies that can be applied there as well. Yeah. Exactly. And so you start realizing that all those skills you have acquired actually are the same skills you need to build a business, to uh, yeah. provide advice. Very similar, to my, very similar to my journey. Very similar. Right. To pitch, right. And to pitch to investors and to to pitch, you know, sales to companies yep. and teaching those companies, those businesses, how they have to be yeah. led first rather than product led, all this stuff. But yeah, what I've yeah. seen is you have also, you know, combined, um, you know, the skills learning in addition to your venture building capability now. So yeah. how did you fall into venture building? Yeah. So, um, I became passionate about, um, you know, digital skills initially, became an impact investor at Microsoft. And I realized that I, that's, I ran an accelerator, you know, and there, uh, you know, I was doing that. I created another accelerator at IBM. And I realized that there was this fundamental disconnect and kind of this bifurcation of duties across a founder value chain, right? So let's kind of think about how your typical traditional founder does things. All right. I know that's stereotypical. Not everybody does things like this, but let's just, you know, kind of think about the 80% or whatever the percentage is. You've got a founder or group of founders. They have an idea. Okay. Then they say, oh, we need to go build a thing. And oh, you know what? Let's build the thing. And you know what? We don't know how to do this piece or we're not the best at that piece. Oh, we need to build a team. And I'm not saying that these happen in a linear fashion. I'm going to say it in a linear fashion, but I don't mean it to. It's just, you know, I can't, I can't talk over myself multiple times. So there you go. So founder has idea. Founder tries to build product. Oh, we can't do this. We need insight, whatever it is. They get team. Maybe there's some product market fit conversations that happen in there. Maybe not. Maybe they're too caught up in their own head to think, oh, no, we know what everybody wants. This is for the customer. They think they're the customer, right? Maybe they haven't even thought about how much money they're going to make out of it. They haven't maybe thought even about, am I solving a problem? Do customers want my problem, want my solution? And are they willing to pay for my solution? Yeah. And then they're like, oh, shit, we have no money. You know, if we're going to take this forward, we have no money. So we need to go out and get, you know, money. We need to get capital. And because we need that capital to finish our product, to hire our team, because how are we going to service all those customers if we don't have these things, Right. Meanwhile, you have an incubator that's like, let me help you build your idea. And my, the incubator doesn't talk to the accelerators. Like they don't share deal flow, right? They don't talk to each other. Sometimes they don't even know each other exists, right? Oh, no, I'm not an incubator. I'm an accelerator. Okay, so the accelerator comes in. Okay, I want to have like somebody with a, you know, an MVP. I want to have paying customers or whatever they want. Okay, fine. So you come into the accelerator. Wait a second. They're not talking to the venture capitalists or the people with the money. So you finish your accelerator. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And you finish that and you're like, okay, like I, I just did an investment readiness accelerator. Okay, all right. Okay, now I'm gonna go out and pitch to VCs. Wait, I'm a woman. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a founder of color. Holy shit. I, there's only 2% of you know, funds available to me and I'm not part of the good old boy network. Uh, I'm from Nebraska. And I don't know anybody and I'm not cool, you know? So um, I looked at that and I thought I was part of a broken system and I perpetuated that broken system. And we are, um, I mean, without still, knowing. Yeah, I I mean, know. we are still I know. That when you think about it. And, you know, I ran the acceleration program and, uh, in, you know, the early stage of acceleration for me, which was in 2015, I, I did yeah. five years of acceleration. And um, I work with amazing corporations and what I realized at some point is, you know, you have all those couples. So it was industry accelerator. The industry players would play, would play with our startups and the startup would go into an acceleration to validate, you know, product market fit. However, I would see very few actually going to commercialization. And so my, my passion right now is yeah. fine, right? But I only work with insurance companies, for example, who are really 
profound around commercializing with startups and implementing industrializing and democratizing those techniques. That's awesome. I think we're both like kind of uh, peas of peas in the same peas of a pod or birds of a feather or whatever you want to call it. Two peas in a pod. That was what it's supposed to be. Um, I, I'm of the same mindset, and you know, actually, you know, we had. I think we're still me and my partner um, are still working on kind of the narrative of how to. Um, kind of uh, demystify what a venture studio is or what a venture builder does versus a VC and accelerator and incubator. We kind of combine all those things together. However, we have kind of realized that a lot of times when a startup approaches us, that startup kind of has this idea that I need a million dollars in seed funding and that's my focus and I want a million dollars. And if I don't get that million dollars, I, but they're not focused on, in some things they're not even focused on anything. You know, they think that they don't have like, and they they don't necessarily look. I'm not saying this is all always the case, but how do I get access to paying customers right now with what I have, assuming they've got some kind of MVP? Obviously, if you've got nothing, that's a different problem. But a lot of the founders we're talking to have you know have MVPs and are you know so focused on going out after funding that they're not necessarily thinking about well, what if I want to flip the conversation and focus on partnerships and you know growth from a you know a customer acquisition perspective so we jump in and we focus on growth growth from what i would consider three perspectives one technical enablement and so that's how do we get speed to market how do we give you a bench of the 2000 you know 1500 you know highly skilled you know, computer engineer, uh, software engineers and data scientists that we have available. Here you go, serve it up, package numbers. There you go. You don't have to go out and recruit a team right now. Here's your bench. Okay. Obviously, we're not giving, you know, 2000 in the way and there's got to be conversations. So that's one piece. You know, making sure that we are really thinking about what their business model is. My, bar- my partner, he knows how to make money. I'm out here running around with my hair on fire and excited about evangelizing and, you know, community building and the fluffy side of awesomeness. And he stops me from investing in basket weaving. Now, keep in mind, basket weaving is awesome, but you have to balance, you know, one another. He is uh, often the bad cop. I'm the good cop, um, you know, but yeah. So we we look at it from that perspective, really ask hard questions to make sure that, you know, you're really thinking about uh, monetization. What is the quickest path to revenue? Why do you want to dilute your, you know, why, why do you want to dilute your, your own? Why? 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 And then lastly, access to partnerships. Um, we kind of like what you were talking about, because at the end of the day, if I look at FinTech, um, I've got something I'm announcing soon. I can't announce it yet, but I, I will once it's ready probably beginning of August, uh, we signed an agreement with a very large player. We're going to be doing some of what you're talking about, not in the insure tech space, but another vertical, very similar. You know, how do we bring the ecosystem together with innovation, decision-making, you know, maker roundtables? So your customer, your enterprise customer you want to go into, your startup founder that's been vetted and curated and ready to go into that, you know, organization, and then your tech partner. So you've got your venture builder, your tech partner, you know, you've got your, you know, it's like this really nice, like, I, I don't know, um, sandbox of players, if, if you will. So, yeah. Super cool. You know, actually, this is very similar. And, you know, that has always been my my vision of what I wanted to build yeah. in the UK. Uh, Paddy, I talk a lot about digital ecosystems. You can't build companies of tomorrow without digital ecosystems. I know, and right? Then, the problems to be solved as well. What I found is, you know, when you give a blank sheet of paper to corporation, because funding often come from corporation, they do not always have the ability to to do with blank piece of sheet of paper. So for example, I'm doing a lot of work around commercial sustainability. I call it commercial because commercial and insurance plus sustainability. Think about flooding, wildfires. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know those those big events. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means that you have to talk to the corporations. Think about total shale. You know you have to talk to the fossil fuel companies. Then I'm looking at it from a risk perspective. So yeah. I have to build the ecosystem around the startup able to solve for those problems, and then bring the insurance right. companies to actually start identifying the emerging risk and therefore the emerging products yeah. 
they should well, it's like, what are your, what it, it's kind of like taking it and, you know, it's like a, a different way of thinking about design thinking and human centered design. It's you understand what's happening. You understand the pain points. You understand what, you know, are the potential opportunities because you really have brought people together yeah. and, you know, you're, you're kind of bringing people together who don't normally talk to one another. Cause I think, you know, when I talk to, you know, kind of uh, the different, you know, large banks, for example, and I'm talking even to the, the, the head of innovation of this large bank they struggle getting access to the latest and greatest of whatever. And they often go to conferences or they have briefings so that they can understand, you know, what startups are, I don't know, the sexy startups right now. You know, how do you weed, how do you weed through that to know what am I missing and what innovation should I be thinking about that is proactive and forward thinking? And by the way, I don't think I could build it. Who, who already has this, you know, or who can build it for me? And you know, you don't have to, starts from scratch right i often say that's right to 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 corporations you know my my motto is you know build together don't don't build internally right yeah co-create right co-create because it's already somewhere on the shelf and now he's asking about generative ai and um you know i guess prompt and chat gpt and stuff like that which is not the problem they are trying to solve for is now technology to the business and so what is a business proposition going to look like in the future? Yeah. What yeah. do you think are yeah. the challenges then when you look at the world of venture building and corporate venturing? You know, I think it's a, a few different things. Um, I think, uh, you know, for me, I think the, the biggest thing that I'm working on now is changing the narrative around, do you, I mean, there's, a, there's always room for bringing in capital, okay? There always is. But I think that right now there is this fundamental belief that a, fa- that a founder has that I need capital to grow. I need capital to get customers. I need capital to da-da-da-da. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. If you haven't, you know, earned a salary in a year, you know, your Maslow hierarchy of needs are kicking in and it's saying, I need a place to live. I need to eat. What the heck am I doing? I need funding. So, you know, I, I don't want to give absolutes, but I think there are you know, many, there are often ways uh, of rethinking things. So yeah, I would say that's number one. Um, I would say, you know, kind of number two is, and I, I think this is probably relevant for highly regulated industries or, you know, places where you've got, you know, significant amount of, um, you know, data is really making sure that, you know, you know, the fintechs or the financial services companies, the banking company, you know, the banker, the banks, uh, insurance companies, uh, healthcare companies, whatever, you know, they've understood, you know, uh, uh, regulatory requirements for a very, very long time. Now, not everybody follows everything as they should. Okay, fine. But it's something that is pr- a priority within the industry, right? And I think sometimes when you have, uh, you know, the newer fintechs coming on board and are, you know, think they might be, you know, aware of, you know, data protection, privacy, and security, and what it takes to get on board, it's hard to get number one to get your attention you know get the 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 you know the bank's attention let's say um not only get that attention but be able to sell in and then once you get to a yes going through the process of onboarding you know for any of us who's who went through you know like me who spent time in you know uh vendor onboarding and like kind of procurement and compliance it's a process now, I know that, you know, startups like Tech uh, Passport are looking to, you know, streamline that. So they're, you know, kind of uh, fintechs out there looking to do that. But, you know, big challenge. You got a solution. You got a problem. How do I, how do I, how do I let you know that it exists? There's a lot of noise out there. Yeah. Right. 100%. Um, and I'm thinking about your procurement um, comment, uh, Melissa, you know, some of the, even the corporation I work with, now they're asking you for your sustainability strategy. So imagine yeah. a startup who actually going to sell to a corporate and has not thought about their ESGs. They will so they're actually... like, wait, what a second? What, is, what do I have to do? What, what does that have to do with yeah. me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So when you look at where we are going and what the future holds for you and yeah. uh, the ventures you are supporting and, and helping become bigger, better commercialized and yeah. monetizable solutions, yeah. where do you see the world going? Yeah, so um, if I can like uh, look into the future, you know, I would love to see, you know, situations where, you know, my my founders raise a shit ton of money. They they become, you know, these amazing 
you know, solutions that are, you know, kind of powering the world's whatever, you know, changing this, that, and the other, making the world a better place, but also making money at the same time. You know, naturally, I would be, uh, you know, uh, lying if I didn't say that I want to be comfortable and I want my family to be comfortable. Um, but, you know, I believe in doing well while doing good, meaning, again, making money, making the world a better place. Um, I'd love to see, you know, situations where, you know, I'm part of the, uh, Solving some of the biggest and most pressing issues, you know, of uh, of our time. You know, do I solely, you know, focus on just social impact? No, but it, it often weaves in, and you know, I don't think that I'd be able to do the thing without having some social impact uh, things that I that I work on. So I I look forward to a situation in the future where, you know, uh, women like me don't look back on the time that they took that, you know. Uh, computer science course and dropped out because everyone didn't look like me. And then I decided that's not for me. And later on, I'm like, wow, I could have done that. You know, uh, I look forward to a time where, you know, again, whether, you know, it's a woman or a person of color, it doesn't matter um, what, you know, any underserved and underrepresented community uh, member who doesn't have access to capital, doesn't have a seat at the table. Um, that there's a, a bit of a more level playing field. Um, I believe access to funding uh, and how decisions are made uh, are broken. And uh, I want to blow them all up. I, I don't know if I'm in a position to do that. And I don't know if I'm necessarily working on that specifically, but uh, it's something that I hope changes in the future. Dr. Melissa Sassi, I need to ask you yeah. the, the question, a tech question around GRTVI. You mentioned yeah. social innovation. Where do yeah. you see Genetive AI is going to take us or not? You know, and where is the opportunity for us all with all this you know, new stuff? You know, where I'm focused on from a, a technical perspective um, is really around um, AI. That's where I'm focused on is um, the role that data analytics, AI, what role that can play um, in driving, you know, solving uh, pain points and creating opportunity. Um, for example, I don't have this, uh, I don't have, it's not public yet, but, you know, it's this uh, kind of fast pass to AI thing that I'm working on. So don't you steal my name because I'm going to be really mad. That's not for you. That's for everyone. Yes. Um, you know, and maybe that's not going to be the name, but it's kind of this fast pass to AI. Um, because one of the things that I realized is, you know, I, I spent a lot of times in, the, you know, a lot of time in the startup community. Um, but, you know, as of late, a lot of people with small and medium sized businesses for the F&B market have been reaching out to me saying, How, what can AI do for my, my company? I don't even know who to talk to. Like, what is this AI thing? And so we've just started having conversations with these like small and medium enterprises. And we started putting together these little packages of, you know, access our devs, we'll come in, we'll do a, you know, kind of process overview, figure out, you know, um, what, what are you working on? What are you doing? And so there's a little fee associated with that. And then we'll look and say, okay, how do we, you know, how do we help you? You know, I know it's not specifically, you know, social impact, but if I think about innovation and AI, that's one specific thing that I'm doing. Um, I would say on top of that, um, it's, you know, kind of going back to the basics and you do not, you cannot have a smart consumer who's safe and secure or an innovator, a creator, a maker, a doer, an influencer, unless people have skills, you know, half of the world now does not have access to the internet, um, a little bit, you know, less than half. Um, young people are not uh, being skilled, you know, appropriately when it comes to whether that's just being safe and secure online or knowing how to code. Um, my uh, dissertation for my PhD was focused on the uh, digital inclusion of the underserved and its role in solving the most pressing issues of our time. And I was part of creating uh, the world's first digital, uh, the, worst stand, the world's first standard for what it means to be digitally skilled and ready. And there are a lot of different components to that. And I believe we will not have the social innovation, the technical innovation, the conversation around what tech can do and how can it, it help the uh, invisible woman, the bottom, of, the woman at the bottom of the pyramid, you know, unless people understand how they can safely and securely transition from consumers of technology, if they are even at that level, to the creators, makers, and doers in power. Yeah. 
you know, I spend a lot of time during my weekend to play with um, generative AI tools or trying everything yeah. just yeah. to get my head around it and how, and, and you know, there's yeah. a lot happening and it's just, you have yeah. to look at them. And what is for me missing is, okay, how we are going to get our orchestrator, right? Where you can bring yeah. your own content and your own IP and then the, yeah. the tools actually accurately analyze what you have put in to provide you with some interesting answers uh, i think there's still work to be done here there is lots of work to be done i mean as we talk about the you know the shift from web 2 to web 3 and you know metaverse and blockchain and all that kind of stuff i look forward to a decentralized world i look forward to a world where you know there you know i i, I you know a, a company is not controlling what what i see and read you know yeah. that there, there are many different social you know changes that you know, can occur financial issues to solve the monetary system. You know, and it's exciting. I mean, we are in a great time, right? It's exciting, all those things we, we can do. And, and then it's being focused around yeah. the few and actually having an impact around the few things we can do. Would like you to give some recommendation now. Recommendation okay. to the investors, recommendation to the corporates. You know, what can they do to embrace? You know, even right now, right? We have high interest rate, high inflation. People yeah. are keeping budget. You mentioned capital constraints. What needs yeah. to happen to actually so, unlock the future? Yeah. So I would say on the you know, on the founder side, um, you know, I would think about, you know, how much emphasis are you putting on, you know, access to capital versus, you know, speed to revenue. Okay. I know it's a scary thing, especially when you're bootstrapped and you're hungry, you're living, you're, you're living in a squalor. I get it. Um, so that would be um, kind of one, one recommendation, um, on the capital, you know, on the investor side of things, um, you know, I would really think about, you know, how can you, how can you sit down and how can you listen to more female founders and more folks who are, you know, uh, women founders or founders of color who are in, um, out there in the trenches doing the thing. You know, um, how do you make sure that you've got this balanced deal flow that's coming to you? Um, and I know it's hard because you're getting things served up to you and you've got X amount of time for whatever. And most importantly, be nice. I can't tell you how many uh, situations I've been in where, um, you know, investors haven't been nice to me. And uh, not that you need to stroke my ego and, you know, treat me like a puppy and, and you know, give me a new rainbow and a sucker you know, or a lollipop, but, um, you know, I think we, we spend enough time at work and a lot of times, you know, founder is very emotionally connected to, you know, their thing. And I think we all could be nicer, you know, when we say no, when we pass, you know, when we give feedback, you know, so there you go. I definitely agree. Um, you know, there is this view still today where, um, investors questions tend to be, bias toward negativity towards women and positivity and growth towards men's and it's an unconscious bias and i know we we do have our own unconscious biases Melissa. but yes in general is you know being respectful let's have a debate i said people i don't mind having a debate i ask for respect and kindness there's no point of being nasty there's so much pain happening already out there I mean, I was watching like some, you know, some, uh, you know, kind of uh, back and forth, you know, where I've seen like things like I don't do phone calls. I don't okay. do phone calls. People know I don't do phone calls. WhatsApp right, me and I may call you back, but I don't do. Yeah, like, all right. Either. But I mean, also, I think when, when somebody responds to you like that, you know, is that who I want in my life? Is that who I want investing in my product and driving my direction? Maybe that kind of response makes you believe that hey, wait a second, you know what? No, that's not what I want to do. So perhaps that helps you get to the uh, answer quicker. I don't know. I don't know. Everybody's got their style, I suppose. So my last question, Melissa, is what would be your word of wisdom? And maybe looking at, you know, the beautiful story you gave us earlier during our discussion, you know, if you look at small Melissa and now looking at current Melissa, what would you tell her? (laughs) Yeah, um, so gosh, I would tell her a lot. And I, I think part of it would be like, um, you know, believe in yourself, like you can, you can do this and you do not need um, external validation to say, yes, you're doing a good job, you know, scratch me behind my ears. Um, yes, you matter. Yes, you're good enough. And, you know, um, yes, you can do all of these big things. I would probably um, also talk to her about, you know, even listing out the things that she could do. There were many things I didn't even know were accessible to me until like they came. 
uh, funny enough, uh, you know, I didn't even know I was smart. I know it sounds stupid, right? I, I didn't even know I was smart until I was in my 30s and somebody sat down and said, it was a friend of mine who worked on Wall Street at the same time as me. And I'm working at Goldman Sachs. Like I made it through like the gauntlet of Goldman Sachs. I didn't even know I'm smart, you know, I, what the hell? So he said to me, I don't think you know this and I'm going to set you down and tell you this directly. I, I don't think you know how smart you are. And I'm like, all right, well, what do you mean? You know, I felt like shy, you know, so in reality, I want to cry. So I'm like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, I, I it would appear sometimes like I'm super confident, but in reality, it was kind of like a big mess and a ball of yarn in here. And uh, he's like, let me tell you, you're one of the smartest people I know. And here is the evidence of that. And here is why I'm saying this. From that moment forward, whatever his style was, whatever he did, whatever, it was like I all I I I knew it, I believed it, and I, I don't know what that trigger was, but you know, imagine, you know, you go until you're 30 some odd years old not realizing like you're smart or whatever. Like, what the heck are we doing? You know, so that's what I would do. I mean, I know you've already written, I think, two books, but one thing I'm going to say now is I've met a lot of wonderful people with ADHD. And I know you guys are the smartest people I've seen on this planet. <laughs> I wish I had ADHD because I want a super brain like yours. Um, it's a media, super it's so insane. It's so insane. Incredible. I didn't know I had ADHD until like, uh, maybe like eight years ago. Um, I, I always felt weird. I always felt different. I always felt disconnected from others. Like I had a lot of friends. So give me a rock. I was always a networker. I was always surrounded around friends. But I always felt like I was a little bit on the outside of things. And once I realized that I had ADHD and I started reading about these things that, uh, you know, ADHDers have or neurodivergent folks have, I was like, holy smokes. Like there are other people like me that exist in the world. Like I never could figure out why do I always lose my keys? Why am I terrible at paying my electricity bill? Yeah. There's a reason. So it gave me a lot of uh, hope and understanding. I, guess. I admire you, Melissa. So thank you. I want to say thank you so much for this wonderful discussion. Thank you. And, uh, well, I'm sure I will welcome you back on the podcast, but I cannot wait to see and hear what people are going to say when they decide. Same, to this great same, 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 same. So yes, thank you again for having me. My pleasure. <laughs> If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.